And there's nowhere else to run. Is there room for one more song? One more song. When you can't hold on. When you can't hold on. Hold on. I wanna sound up, I wanna let go, you know, you know, no, you don't, you don't. I wanna flash, and the heart's a man, I wanna reach out of the back of my broken hand. I wanna never have another heartbreak, so much older that I can Comes and goes, I need direction to perfection, no, 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 help me out, yeah, but you gotta help me out, yeah, don't you put me on the back burner, you know, you gotta help me out, She took my love and ran it around with every single guy in town. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, oh, 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 Yes, this is the first BC uh, stream. The first, or no, I'm sorry, AC chat. After chair, or after demolition of chair, I don't know. But yes, I know that no one can ever think of me the same way again after that one, and that's fine. That's life, as Frank Sinatra said. But that's cool. In fact, I find it uh, useful. I can just uh, I can use it as, an as a moment to cleanse my ego. Um, this chair is well, this has all the bolts. And if one of the bolts falls out, I swear I'm going to actually put it back in and not just ignore it, which is what happened with the other one. It literally was my own fault, my own laziness. Um, so Rumsfeld died today, and I gotta say, I understand why people want to, like, celebrate when that happens, when one of these guys dies, when one of these ghouls actually dies and proves that they are not immortal reptiles. Although, honestly, do we know for sure that any of these people die? Do we know for sure that they're not just molting from one fucking flesh skin 
to another? How do we know that they're not just peeling off their decrepit uh, Rumsfeld or H.W. Bush uh, scales, stepping out of it and being a a crisp, new, wet creature uh, that can come on the scene and create a whole new arc of evil through the world? Like the demonic fucking uh, archons that they are. I mean, these guys are archons. These guys are, they're so close to the center of evil and they're so uh, consequential in the, the misery of so many others that they're imbued with like real spiritual power, I think. They are sort of dark wizards. I mean, and you, you know, we know for a fact that they all, to some degree or another, and you can argue about what degree, that they all love performing rituals of power. From getting your ass paddled and having to jack off in a coffin for to join skull and bones, or like how uh, what's his nuts, um, David Cameron, the uh, the the absolute oaf, British, uh, 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 prime minister who put his dick in a pig's mouth. They love ritualized performances of humiliation as like a gateway to power and then like indulgence uh, as like a sacred ritual. Like, like you are sacrificing millions on the altar of like your personal satisfaction and pleasure. You have to have, if you're a thinking pure person with a fucking heart and yes, of course these people are all sociopathic, but they also have, they have identities that extend beyond that. They're not pure, uh, you know. Like, nobody is purely self-materially interested, right? Like, there's always something surrounding that. And then they have to create channels to work through it. They have to vent all the associated bad feelings that come with being in that position. And they do that through ritualized indulgence or denial. And, of course, that's the difference between uh, powerful conservatives and liberals is denial versus indulgence. But if you're, when you're at the very top, you create rituals of indulgence. And that's what these people do from fucking Bohemian Grove to whatever the fuck they were doing on Epstein's Island. They have this ritualized uh, gradation of power that is conferred through uh, performance of cruelty. Uh, Sallow got that 100% correct about like, what is at the base of like, he said he was talking about fascism, but really any ruling power in a, in the moment of crisis, like the whole context of Sallow, right? Is that that is the, uh, puppet regime. That's the Nazi puppet regime that was around, um, Mussolini. Uh, in northern Italy, after uh, Mussolini was rescued from uh, Italian like state custody, the st- Italian state that had uh, overturned him and was negotiating surrender with the Allies, uh, and, and imprisoned Mussolini for his many crimes, uh, when he was busted out by of uh, the like it, it really is some James Bond stuff. Otto Skorzeny, who was like the Nazi James Bond. Uh, flew Mussolini out of an island fortress on a fucking, uh, on a, uh, what do you call him? 
a glider. Like you took a fucking glider. It's wild. And then they put him and a bunch of his like top fascist cronies up in charge of this puppet regime, the sallow social Republic that was quickly enveloped and destroyed and, and uh, was it finally over overrun by partisans, communist partisans who captured Mussolini and executed him and famously strung him up by his heels. Uh, you know, one of the people who participated in the firing squad that killed Mussolini became a Italian communist politician after the war and was actually in, in parliament. So these, uh, the fascists who run Italy, or run this little portion of Italy in the film, in Pasolini's uh, film, are consumed all in their, are consuming all of their time with these elaborate uh, rituals of sadism, where they take these poor young people and subject them to the most horrifying violence that is explicitly. Uh, uh, related to their erotic enjoyment of it. They're not just watching it coldly. It is, it is sexual and it is a fusion of like sexuality. Like the, 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 uh, it is taking bodily connection and stripping it entirely of intimacy and replacing it with domination, which is the end state of the ruling class in terminal crisis of death. It strikes out at everything because it is isolated from everything. And so eroticism is, all of life, all of life is aesthetics as it is under fascism. And those aesthetics are of theatrical violence and cruelty. And of course that's present in capitalism at every stage. But when you get to the end point and the set and the South social Republic, it was 120 days, just like Sodom before it was overrun. So these people were partying in a burning building and they all knew it. Nobody thought that they were uh, in charge Nobody thought that they were they had the fucking allies on the run. They knew that these were the last days and they engaged as you would. That means that when you get to the end of capitalism, all that's left is dominion and a culture around dominion, an intimate dominion that is required by the intimacy of crisis conditions necessitates necessitates an eroticized uh, sadism. Now, of course, the reason we aren't having that kind of uh, erotic uh, explosion here is uh, because we're so far from it. Because capitalism, even though it is in a crisis where conditions of apocalypse are already here, but unevenly distributed, the rest of the people within these systems and the ones closest to the, the uh, organs of uh, political organization, legal authority, uh, uh, and electoral structures – and uh, access uh, and, and uh, proximity to technology uh, and to capital flows, like the most the most central subjects, are not experiencing that. What they're experiencing is is the fear of it, because they're seeing it around them and they're feeling bad about it. But they don't feel the way that a guy in the room has to feel as they're uh, carrying out some sadistic ritual. They don't have to feel about it the way that the, uh, the way that the sallow aristocrats felt about it, as in having to be there and having to really dis 
Turn your brain into something that finds that pleasurable. Fight against all human connection and all of your instinctive uh, sense of, of continuity with the universe. Cut it away. Cauterize it. But most people aren't going to do that. And most people don't have to because they can afford to imagine that they're not benefiting from that more than they are being undermined from it because they are aware of their own subject position. Because we're not in charge of anything. We're not in charge of anything. And so instead of confronting the horrors of the system that they're happening right in front of us, we can perform rituals of either a cruelty simulated in the form of voting and like what t-shirt you wear and what you post online. And remember, this is a cruelty that is across the board of all liberal people who think that they're on top and think that when it comes to the, the end of the line, when they're, when they're in the sallow social Republic, they are assuming that they would be the ones uh, uh, who are the guests and not the, the servants. Like if they close their eyes and put themselves in Pasolini's Salo at the end of capitalism, when it is the naked lunch at the end of your fork, instead of this machinery of ritual and technology and distance and geography and culture and spectacle that get you to uh, detach from it and, and, and operate within it complicitly while also powerlessly. And they say, where are you going to be? If, if we got those conditions now, where would you end up? We have elites, and by that I mean even people uh, who are aspiring to positions within the uh, knowledge economy, people who think, I'm going to be a professor, or I'm going to be uh, a media professional, I'm going to be a, uh, a influencer but for the left, I'm going to, I'm going to do these things. Fuck, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> I'm going to ritualize my anxiety about this situation, about this horrifying precarity. Because uh, I don't want to be the one watching that. I don't want to be the sallow person. I identify with the other. I have Nietzsche's slave morality. And so I can't, even though I'm a ruler, or I imagine myself that in the future I'll be a ruler. So you have to create a situation where the people who are suffering have it coming and it's not your fault and you're not in, indulging in it. You're, you're not doing it sensually and dominatingly the way that, say, the fascists, the right wing would. You're going to do it by punishing the guilty. You're going to do it by guillotining and by uh, being John Brown at Osawatomie. You're going to be able to uh, carry out that violence not in a spectacle, an orgy uh, like the fascists would, but in uh, like a court of law, in a in a uh, performance of of domination over uh, over over righteous enemies, but obviously most of us would not. Most of us who are having these conversations, and this is where a lot of the confusion comes in about things like the PMC. 
all the people within this discussion, if, if they closed their eyes and said, where would you imagine yourself if you were going through like a portal to that period? Where would you imagine yourself? And of course, a lot of them would say, actually, I'd be the partisans. I'd be the communist partisans. No, you would be at the Salo Republic. But will you be, because the Salo Republic is the closing neck, uh, uh, the gilded collar coming around the necks of those in the center of the global capitalist system as it pulls away from the periphery as the climate uh, catastrophes uh, uh, accelerate. So you're never going to be outside of it. You're always going to be in it. And so you're either going to be on top or you're going to see yourself fall down to a position of total exploitation. Most of the people who are talking about politics, if you actually pulled their soul, they would say that they would imagine that they would be on top. But because of the trajectory of downward mobility in America, because of the final dissolution of the Fordist compromise, because of the fact that the uh, that the homeowning, uh, like semi-autonomous uh, suburban yeoman of America, uh, that that their entire that their share of the capital pie ha, uh, has been gone, has been cut away for 30 years now, 40 years now. And you're just living off of the fat of this dead dead thing, the American labor movement. Uh, they're just on, the, on, on this corpse eating the fat of it. It is a cargo cult. And so everybody who went to college thinking that they were going to get a job and be able to live a life like their parents, their own place, uh, their kids, uh, uh, some sort of sense of control over their, their, their leisure time, their workflow, uh, 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 and confidence that their children would have a fucking future. Those things are all gone. But people still have those expectations because that's how they were brought up. And that's the conflict. And that's why you have people saying that the PMC is the new elite. No. But do they fancy themselves that in the global conflict for con uh, over resources that we're currently in, the final grasp of, of, of for, for, for air as, as the water levels literally rise, uh, the continuation of the war that's been going on ever since – uh, the end of World War II, really, to to uh, create a economy as a giant hose sucking uh, surplus to the west from uh, the south, from to, from to from the to the north from the south, a giant hose. And that's continuing in a context now of genuine uh, accelerating entropy uh, and a feedback loop whereby the externalities of capitalism, which are not priced into capitalist transactions but exist nonetheless in real life, are accumulating. And the system as it is cannot address them because it doesn't see them. It's dark matter in, in the world. According to the, the rationalist approach that dominates our economic understanding of the world, that is what makes us do transactions the way we do, 
is premised on the notion that there is an outs- exterior, an outside of the transaction world where all of the friction accumulated in that transaction, all of the social alienation that accumulates from subjects who are forced into these conditions, all of the destabilization of the ecology that occurs from, uh, from changing things like carbon dioxide outputs and uh, putting acid in fucking uh, plastic in the environment, like actually changing things. And in every one of those transactions that is assumed as the undergirding uh, logic of the algorithm of, of profit extraction, that thing that is not priced just happens somewhere else. But there is nowhere else to account for it. The thing that's supposed to account for it, I would say, in the tele- if there is a teleology of Marxism, it is that this dark matter ends up creating its own articulation, its own social uh, reality that can then come into conflict with this broken system that cannot recognize what's in front of it. That is the hope of class consciousness. But the machinery of class consciousness broke in the 70s. So we're now in a point where there is just this accelerating crisis that will only be resolved by it starting to break up and change the conditions and relationships that undergird these dynamics. Because they can be arrested and diverted at every point is the key. I've uh, been listening to a very uh, good podcast called uh, Fall of Civilizations recently. Uh, it's in the, it's sort of in, I would say it's sort of in between uh, Dan Carlin and like uh, Mike Duncan or something. It's it's pop history, but it's well-researched and it's about different civilizations in decline and, and it uh, describing what those conditions, uh, what conditions brought it about. And, it's amazing. When you exclude the ones uh, where it's an outside invasion that emerges and changes like a rapid condition exogenously, like like the uh, the Spanish invasions. That, you, know, you could argue that there were internal contradictions within the Aztec state. Obviously there were. But the definitive uh, dis- disruption of that relationship came from outside. But then, uh, but excluding those, where you have civilizations that collapse from within, like the fucking, uh, like the Mayas, for example, who started to decline long before uh, the Europeans got to uh, Latin America, uh, and, or the, the, the late Bronze Age, uh, or um, Greenland, or the, uh, uh, the Khmers. The thing that they all have in common is that Humans came together to adapt to their environment, to create a system that allowed them to manage the, the, the dangers, the scarcity, that's the word, the scarcity of their social conditions uh, dictated by their geography. That uh, is what starts the building of civilization. Some people sitting around thinking of things to do, directing resources, doing ritual shit, other people putting their nose to the physical grindstone of, uh, of creating a fixed agricultural civilization. Some working for, for others, for others. And then those people may be giving each other like some sort of uh, payment to simulate an exchange that is like uh, uh, based on exploitation when really the exploitation is happening at the bottom. Uh, and, but the culture 
and this is the important part, as in the reified structures that people uh, navigate mentally is created by the top. The structure of this social order is created at the top. It might be made out of like uh, a social relationship, uh, a distribution of uh, of a, a people, um, and then like the actual infrastructure of, okay, we have surplus. What do we do with it? What do we build with it? Well, let's build uh, some fucking canals so that we can generate uh, uh, more uh, stable supply of, uh, of food so that we can have a larger population, so that we can compete with other populations of people. And so that we can uh, we can we can maintain stability, and the structures that are created by the people who are sitting around all day are dictated are are determined by the, this relationship where some work for behalf of others at the rate that they want that they're they're dictating the terms, and that will persist until uh, a climate-related shift that is often, but not always, precipitated by the specific actions that these civilizations have taken to change their relationship to the land and their relationship to, uh, to like, uh, human habitation. Like, hey, we're going to settle here. We're, gonna, we're going to grow this here. We're going to clear this land for more crops. We're going to move this water here. Like that, uh, that is all those decisions are made by those who are benefiting by the labor of others, but they want to keep it that way. So that means that when the feedback loop changes and those external, uh, changes to the, uh, the externalities put out into the, uh, into the ecology, the shifts that have been put on the, you know, the, 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 uh, randomness generator of like the natural world all start pushing in the same direction. And then that pushes back. And when that happens, when you have a uh, system of drought, when you have a bunch of droughts that overflow your water systems or that uh, you have a diminishment of uh, global temperatures that reduce uh, your crop fecundity and, and, and you have uh, you run out of arable land and the, the arable land you have uh, begins to be exhausted of uh, minerals by overplanting to sustain population growth that allows for the maintenance of your social structure. And so when those externalities start uh, piling up, the system cannot recognize the cause of them because it is made up of dark matter. It's not built into the equation. They don't understand it. And so even though there are things they could do hypothetically to to address these crises and maintain homogeny, maintain a social order, maintain a, a social body, they fail because to change in a way that would be uh, amenable, that would maintain the social order, like gr- greatly like the social body that you're part of, would require those at the top to actually do some fucking work. It would have to change the distribution of labor within the system. Oh, we can't hyper-exploit others so that we can have and, and have more efficient agriculture so that we can have more surplus that can be eaten in the cities and eaten in the temples. 
while we all dance around and do blood sacrifices and uh, and look at our fucking calendar to figure out why this is happening when the answer is right in front of our face. And if we had applied the genuine um, like presence of mind that that uh, exemplifies the best imagined tradition of empirical uh, science and engagement, if we had the eyes that we had had when we designed the system to confront the crisis now, we could fucking lit- lick it. But it would undermine the social order because changing those structures knocks down the whole fucking thing. And so over and over again, the fall of civilization is a civilization finding itself confronted with a change in the expectation of the uh, the climate, an expectation of how much water would come when, how much fertility would exist in X amount of land, how much how much calories you could get, you could you could guarantee from a certain area. Because once you have a stable and sort of guaranteed house of calories, you can start distributing them. And you can just start distributing them to build institutions of uh, technology, of social technology, of, of literal technology and scientific mind, uh, uh, scientific acuity, and bring it to the question of civilization. Like the, the, the thing that actually, uh, the mechanism that uh, really does undergird alienated civilization, pre-socialist civilization, is uh, this, is the consumption, is the urge. The consumption of those at the top defines the culture. It defines the actual superstructure. And that is why the marginal revolution, when it came, really was the, the triumph of capitalism as it emerged into itself, into itself as a fully coherent uh, uh, con- concept. That it says, no, la- production, labor is not, is not the value associated, the, is not where value comes from, because the un- fundamental idea that, of the labor theory of value, in my mind, metaphysically, is that because labor is unpleasant, the labor that is alienated, and all labor under under uh, regimes of control is alienated because you're not getting the benefit of it and you're not choosing to do it. You're not choosing to do it. Someone else is making you do it. So it is alienated labor. That is pain that accumulates in the system as feedback that has to be addressed, that has to be soothed, that has to be transformed into something else. And as long as culture is being made by people who produce even uh, because there is a relatively small number at the top who are unable to, whose culture is very uh, contained. Like pre-modern civilizations, they were what those guys were talking about and what they were making is much farther from the experience of the average person within that polity than is true in the modern world of mass uh, literacy and mass media. Like those guys were living in a different world and inside the castles and inside the temples. For one thing, they could fucking read. They could read and write, which the vast majority of these people could not do. And that meant that they could spend their time endlessly building a culture.
And of course, what the, the temples are what's left. So we look back and we say, oh, that's the civilization. No, that was this thing on top of the social order. The, 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 real, the real culture was going on at the base, but that real culture is gone. We can't see it. It's dissolved. All we have left is this, and now we all live in it. We live in the temple because the temple is now the Internet. The temple is the Internet, and we all live in it. Everybody who got to this X point where they are alienated but, but comfortable enough to put time into a, a, a creating an identity that extends beyond themselves into a cyber realm where their actual subjectivity, their human sense of self, is no longer extricable from this network, which is where we all are. Once we took over, because technology allowed the smaller number, a much larger group, to emerge out of the exploitation of one group by another, imperialism, the spoils of imperialism were... were, were measured out at, at, at the top, not evenly, but over time, which created more leisure and more technology, more importantly, more time to spend in the cloud, which makes your reality part of the cloud in a way that previous people were fundamentally not. Like, this is a difference. This is where you go from a society that is, that is bifurcated, where we're only seeing half of it, or, or not even half by, by uh, only half by like uh, relationship, not half by numbers, a minority. That's what we get. That's all we have ever had. And that is what you have to have in a society that is uh, pre, uh, that is dominant based, but pre-modern, that is class based, but pre-modern. Once you have a modern social uh, media, once you have mass media, you have uh, taken huge chunks of people who are being exploited and who get to live in the realm of the rulers. They get to live in the, the cloud with the rich people. They get to live in the temple. They get to live in the temple of their minds while their bodies are doing actual labor. And that is, that's what's scary about the moment is that if we are at a now a point where this dark matter that is now pushing against our social order that has accumulated since we went to a global system, once we've created a world system, uh, we created a closed economic system, and all of our models are based on open ones. Every model we have of how humans interact and engage with each other are premised with interactions having externalities not priced in, which means we're literally unable to see their contribution to this until it's too late. Because you could argue it's too late. I think that to avoid a, a, a breakup from within, to avoid that crack, that fall of a civilization. But what that means is up to us because civilizations can fall in different ways. There's no, there's nothing I would say that necessitates the fall of this civilization to be a, a totally apocalyptic and gen and, and uh, omnicidal one, which I think a lot of people assume. And of course, there is a lot of comfort in assuming that. If you assume that, 
then you can kind of feel like, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. In a real, in a, like a metaphysical sense. And in, a, and in another uh, just more selfish, uh, imaginative sense, you don't have to die worried about missing stuff, which is what I think a lot of people feel or have felt, especially in moments of, of progress. Oh, man, what am I going to miss? What, what human heights are we going to scale that I'm going to miss? You don't have to – if you really think that, that, that the light of humanity is going to be extinguished in the next hundred years – you can really you can do the Saturn the, the Bacchanalia. Now, how at some point it's going to get too sadistic, and you're going to have to ask yourself what you actually care about. But you can live in that gray zone for a while. So that isn't to say that we aren't going to all die in a hundred years or two hundred years. It is simply to say that any you cannot approach that question. And answer it objectively, because these are things that, frankly, none of us are equipped to know. Predicting the future is the hardest thing in the world. Understanding the past is is impossible. Predicting the future is equally impossible. Uh, it is absurd to do so, and uh, it's it's one of the lowliest intellectual pursuits. And yet, we can look at a question like this, which we can break down into numbers like amount of carbon uh, ex, ex, amount of carbon that we're producing, amount of ne- uh, energy necessary, amount of energy consumption, all these questions. You can look at them all and get a pretty good map of, of where we're going with nothing changes. And of course, that's the big if, if nothing changes or if not enough changes fast enough. But you're filling in the gaps in your own mind. You are not getting some perfect understanding and rendering of this. You're looking through a glass darkly and you're filling in the spaces with what you want to be true, even if you don't know you're doing it. This is the most important part. It does not have to be conscious. In fact, it isn't. If it was conscious, you'd have to deal with it. You get to keep it under, and then it stains your reasoning like it does everyone's in a way that you cannot perceive. So everyone who is like convinced that that's the case, you have to. I think you should admit that the deciding factor in you believing that is not any uh, extrapolation from data or rational response or considered thing. It is the the seductive freedom, the seductive indulgence that it suggests. Because you really could say, like, what? I'm not really hurting anybody. Yeah, I'm hurting a little people a little bit. You know, I'm 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 consuming carbon outside of my. Uh, vastly outside of what I sh- what I should as an individual, uh, I I, I uh, subsist on the labor of other people and other countries and and uh, uh, the manufacture uh, and agricultural sectors to provide me with food. I uh, even here domestically, I take advantage of people through uh, delivery services and, and servant apps. But all of that violence is, is sublimated, and and I really am in many ways not responsible for it. So. Why not just have fun? And it's like, yeah, you know what? If you can convince yourself of that, do it. But at a certain point, you're going to hit it where it doesn't work anymore. The hedonic treadmill uh, eventually leaves you exhausted. You will be left exhausted. You'll be left a husk. 
because the pleasures over time become familiar and therefore less pleasurable. And also just the, 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 uh, the sensuous uh, energies, the, the chemical and hormonal uh, and you know, physical components of, of, of uh, sensation, forget even sensuality, sensuality in general, not even sexuality, sensuality in general, sensual pleasures. And those even include like the pleasures of uh, the pleasures of like uh, soporific indulgence are also those. Like being lazy is that too. Those all go the the, the ability to to uh, to feel sensuously is also adult physically and just through repetition. And you're still going to be in this condition where you're headed towards the infer- the furnace, but also feeling guilty and powerless, uh, guilty and uh, miserable, and then that that can't be masked anymore. And once you get to that point, you have to say, "What do I do?" And the, the, the problem with trying to coordinate action among people who are all experiencing this is that everybody is at a different point in that trajectory. The dream, the fantasy, the mystical uh, uh, hope of like a, a universal awakening comes from the idea of everybody getting to the same point at the same time, the same point of this isn't working anymore at the same time. And so we're all floating through space trying to grab each other and form a human chain away from being cast into the sun, basically. We are reaching out and grabbing at each other. And we're, st- and we're being scattered through space by the momentum that we've had by our accumulated interactions. We're just bouncing off of one another through space. The only way we're going to fucking uh, avoid getting eaten by the sun is if we all get our hands together and move in the same direction. And that by doing that, we can change our uh, our physical presentation, our material arrangement towards the sun, our relationship to it, and and push us into a stable orbit. And that comes from people reaching a similar point of disillusionment with the life as they've known it and a similar need to change directions to avoid catastrophe, avoid avoid a crack-up that can no longer be smothered. Now, that's not going to happen naturally. That would, it would be too un, improbable. That's just what it boils down to. These are all random – we're all in that random – particles bouncing off of each other, the odds that any of us are going to get into a point where we can have a, a, a meaningful moment of, of clarity is is randomized too. So it would be the ultimate lottery win. It would not never, it's just, it, it would not happen. But people are still always bouncing off of each other and they're always bouncing off of concepts and ideas and experience, and they're all having experiences. And when they line up the light right way, like on a codex or a fucking, uh, combination lock, it pops something. And then if that happens, you can change the direction that you're going. You know, those little, those little, um, if somebody saw gravity with Clooney where he's going around on the chair and he's able to change his direction with the little uh, oxygen spurts, that 
Those little moments are those little, are our spurts that allow us to reorient ourselves. But of course, they're not constant. I mean, you'd have to be an ascended plane for them to be constant. Most of us are regular people. We have flashes, then we go back to being normal, and then we have to live in that normal space until we have another flash. But we can array ourselves in those moments between with the little spurts and then increase the likelihood that we're going to bang into somebody else and maybe change their trajectory by making them have one of those moments. And then you can start moving in a direction with others and using just your bodily, the accordion-like muscle tension to move you through space. So if you accept that your black-pilled convictions come from not your best rational mind, but your most your worst, most indulgent mind. If you accept that and then operate from the premise that therefore you are still an agent of history, you still have a, a responsibility to yourself and everybody else to move through space and time in harmony with it. Because otherwise it will make you miserable. Forget everybody else. This is the difference between Puritanism and real spirituality is the Puritanism says, no, the fact that you're not, get, you're not enjoying it is, makes it better, which, of course, creates the whole perverted uh, uh, a superego uh, dictatorship of the modern liberal who is a descendant of the Puritan mind. You do it because it feels good. You do it because it is good for you. It provides you to feel harmonious which is the ultimate, the ultimate distillation of when we say, what does it mean to feel good in any abstract sense? What does it mean to feel right, to feel home, to feel safe, secure, to feel validated? It is in harmony with the moment. And most of us never feel that because we're being ground through this thing without any awareness of where we're going or anything and, and, our, and the ability to... Uh, to not allow the feelings, the, emo the, the, the physical feelings associated with our life to dominate and dictate our, uh, the mental world we live in. Well, I was supposed to do book club requests today, and I didn't really look at the chat, so let's do it now. If anyone has any ideas. Speaking of books, uh, it was announced today that I, I signed a contract with zero books to do uh, a book called Behold a Fail Horse, which is going to be some transcripts and, uh, edited and, and, and polished, of course, uh, of interviews with me, maybe an essay based on these last few that I feel like have been pretty, uh, uh, pretty helpful. I feel like I'm getting somewhere. It's never going to be finished, but at some point I'm going to say good enough. That's for sure.
Somebody said the Black Jacobins by CLR James, and that is not a bad suggestion. I will take that into account. I'm not going to necessarily say now, but that's the leader in the clubhouse. I just got done listening to uh, my friend Everett's really good Napoleon podcast series on the uh, Haitian War of Independence. And it is making me been thinking about Haiti a lot. So, uh, yeah, it's called age of Napoleon. Let me, let me, uh, plug that one of the best history podcasts out there. He uses Napoleon basically as a lens to look through the, uh, the the, uh, the 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 phenomenon of like Europe's uh, final uh, messy birth into full modernity. Like Napoleon is basically the midwife of modern Europe. He pulls that baby out of the mother, gets the forceps in there, yanks her out. History on horseback, just yanking that baby out of the out of the gap. So he's a very useful character to examine the whole process through because that really is that that period from uh, from the Revolutionary War to uh, probably Congress of Vienna. There you've got, uh, I would say, there's two, there's three crucial flashpoint conflicts that define the that define the the uh, the trajectory of capitalism as it breaks free of containment, basically in Europe, because capitalism starts off as just the accumulation of a bunch of uh, practices, ideas, and technologies which had existed throughout human history. The Chinese famously had most of them, but even in Europe, they'd existed in some form or another uh, throughout its period and uh, its existence, and even back in the the Greco-Roman era. Uh, what happened specifically in uh, in modern Europe, though, is that you had a, a, a the creation of a technologically uh, advancing social order coming uh, into uh, um, uh, coming to a point of crisis created by first the the uh, the, the Black Death and its incumbent its uh, change of uh, property relations, it's undermining of ruling class authority. Like there is a long-term crisis of authority at the top of feudalism that emerges from the Black Death because there's so much more land because of all the fucking people who died that the individual agricultural workers had a much better hand that they could play. They could withhold their labor at their own terms because they could always just live off the land. And the response to that is enclosure, the creation of uh, a a, uh, landless peasantry who would have to sell their labor to live. That's, and that's where capitalism comes from as a response to the crisis created by the, uh, the crisis created by, um, the Black Death. And colonialism was part of the process of solving that. And at first it did. 
It soothed the engine a little bit. It, it, it brought in currency into the system, which was very important. But I would say that uh, once you have that explosion and you have this, the emergence of these forces, the unleashing of the bourgeois, basically, that occurs at the beginning of, uh, of, the, of the 1400s, the, the 1500s, it culminates in, a, in a, the first big crisis, the first third continent-wide crisis that rends it apart. And it makes it have to break. It has to break up the foundations of the system that it accumulated to that point. Is the period from the Thirty Years' War? Uh, uh, basically, I would say from the beginning of the Eighty Years' War in the Netherlands through the Thirty Years' War, including the, the English Civil War, and ending with uh, the Glorious Revolution of 1688. You have a political revolt of broadly the bourgeois over the landed aristocratic knightly class of Europe that had been the rulers of feudalism. That fight starts in the immediate aftermath of the, of the black death. It accumulates, it, it, it culminates in this crisis. And then the creation of the Westphalian system of competing states that are eternally coherent and uh, have like, and whose sovereignty is respected across borders sort of as assumption. Like if you are the, the head of state, by that definition, you are the legitimate ruler of that uh, area. Like the, 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 your rulership, and this is still how we understand sovereignty now in international law. Basically, until the, the, the people who are in charge say different, but uh, at the time there were none. Like, so within the system is whoever is in charge is the legitimate government. So that means that you know this this breaks up the, the dreams of universal monarchy or a, a religious basis for uh, authority and rulership, which had broken up over the uh, the Reformation. Nope, we're doing realpolitik. We're doing nations. We can't do religion. If we do religion, everyone's going to die. We learned that in the Thirty Years' War. If we do religion, everyone is going to die. So we'll do it on nations. And nations started to compete with one another. And out of this competition, the system that best accommodated uh, that competition was the one that most assiduously took the mechanisms of capitalism and used that to make their economic structure more efficient at extracting surplus. And that was the, the constitutional monarchy of, of, the, uh, of the Hanoverians. It took a long fight. They had to kill a king. They had to have a fucking commonwealth. They had to have a bunch of civil wars. They had to fucking uh, fight off a bunch of angry Scottish guys. But they ended up with this Dutch motherfucker who came over after a job interview and agreed to basically let the burgers run the show. Because it, it worked. It got them... Uh, it got them money... It got them control of resources in the rest of the world. It got them uh, rulership over the sea of over the seas. It got them an empire where the sun would never set. And then, so Europe starts competing on that ground. The other states have to play catch up. Now, the main other state is France. France is doing catch up with Britain. That's why it's fighting with Britain in these wars and exchanging slugs, but losing all the way because it does not have this efficient structure. Its burghers have not been empowered. 
And so once the crisis is within it, become too accumulated, it pops off in 1789 with a bourgeois revolt there. And then that bourgeois revolt culminates in the figure of Napoleon as the English Civil War culminated in the figure of Cromwell, who then marches across the fucking continent, literally uprooting all of the, uh, all of the less efficient systems. Holy Roman Empire, you're done. Dogedom of Venice, out of here. Fucking the Grand Knights of Malta. You, are, you have been uh, creatively destroyed in the Schumpeterian sense. That was what the French, Civil, the, uh, French Revolution and then the Napoleonic Wars were. It was because Europe was never – England after the Hundred Years' War was always looking uh, in other directions. It wasn't looking at Europe. It never really was. It was like, okay, we, we're not going to be a European power in that sense, or we're going to wield power elsewhere. France was still a European power, and so it brought the competition of the bourgeois state that had been pretty much dominated by the Dutch and the English before that point, who'd been fighting each other until they had a fucking uh, a leveraged buyout, which is what happened. The Dutch basically uh, – oh, the Hanoverians came, uh, came later, but William of Orange was a Dutchman. Literally, the the, the ex the exhausted Dutch Republic being being bought out basically by uh, by the British. So the French bring the, this bourgeois revolt to the European continent, and then through superior adaptation to the marketplace, they just carve up all these less efficient feudal remnants, and they replace them with with a modern with modern people. Modern conceptions of nationalism that is now not just a state project, but a middle-class political project? Oh, my God, now you've got a whole new basis to undergird this thing. Nationalism. Ethno-nationalism. Hell, yeah. Now you don't need – now this thing that's bigger and more unwieldy and has much more uh, complicated social structure and, and mechanisms of, uh, of, of culture – that have to be maintained, and more and more people who have to be put to idle work, mind work. More and more minds are going to be idle, and they have to have something to do. Give them nationalism. Build a state. Now you've got a project. Well, capitalism is still grinding around behind these people, disrupting them, undermining their uh, structure, and exhausting their their. Uh, ability to uh, max to do profit in the closed system of their of their uh, of their individual economies and that conflict in in a, in a political context of nationalism there you got your third big explosion 1914 to And so we are now in the aftermath of that, when when the national model was essentially broken and replaced by international capitalism and institutions, both cultural, uh, political, and most importantly economic, uh, replace national ones. International international capital is truly born in that era, and now we are living in this totalized capitalism. But there's nothing left 
to convert uh, to uh, transition that belief to. This is the crisis. This is why it's the final crisis. When uh, when the divine right of kings was extinguished over the course of the 17th century, it was not that faith didn't just evaporate. It had to go somewhere, and it went to individual like uh, religion. It went to confession. This is there of the Reformation after all. The King Schming. We need to be able to define ourselves by our religious tradition. Well, okay, that holds for a little bit, but then the 17th century shows up. Uh-oh, that's not good. Turns out religion can't do it either. And over the course of the 17th, 18th century, you have the emergence of this new liberal nationalism. This idea that uh, we are all individuals uh, pursuing individual uh, self-interest, but within a framework of identity, within a box, within humanity. And then we fought that out until it became uh, uh, no longer tenable after uh, in the crisis of the early 20th century. Because periodic crises are, are emblematic and definitive of capitalism. It continue, it, there will always be cyclical crisis of, in, of increasing uh, uh, devastation because of increased uh, uh, extinguishment of the system and increased uh, just bo- literally population and cultural density. Now all that we have is ourselves. That's all we've had since the end of 45 is ourselves as individuals. And there's, there's no way to fight back within that framework is the thing. That's, that's where, that's where we're kind of screwed. We have to build it ourselves. These other things are built in by the superstructure of capitalism. These things were inscribed in the culture that we all imbibed, the religious confessionalism, the liberal nationalism. They were all embedded within the thing. Now, though, there's nothing embedded because the social has disappeared. They were directly ruled in a way that we've never been before. In, in, In a society that doesn't have the total technological control that ours does, and when I say technological, I mean just to the power of the money form. The fact that you cannot, in most of the world, live outside of the cash nexus. That is a genuine enslavement. That's why it's so funny when people say, I'm not going to live in the cube and I'm not going to eat bugs. Bitch, you already live in the cube. You already eat bugs. Because all other systems of life are closed off. You cannot live outside of them. Uh, 
I mean, my God, how are you? Gonna, what's the difference between like some nice, clean roasted crickets and whatever fucking uh, pig anus and uh, Kreutzfeldt Jakob brain slurry uh, uh, fucking uh, feces, rat poison, uh, uh, barbiturate fucking uh, antibiotic slurry? that you eat if you go to a fucking Taco Bell one time. I And I'm not saying it's, I eat the bugs because I eat that shit. I'm not going to act like there's a line I won't look cross because the line doesn't exist. You will always accommodate it because you're comfortable. And that is the point of the fall of civilizations thing is that the civilization can never correct because it cannot undermine its own control. People within it are too wedded to it. Because they cannot imagine living outside of it. They cannot imagine living with their hands. They cannot imagine living no longer within the systems of esteem and comfort and consumption that they have generated. Oh, shit. To get back to something that I forgot a while ago, I got to stitch these together because I think this makes sense. The, sh- the marginal revolution is just the situation where culture where the steering wheel of humanity is hijacked fully by a self-conscious bourgeois, which then imposes itself on a public, on a national and international subject. Because we are consumers. It is the consumer's choice that defines the market. And the thing is, that is a, exa- a correct understanding of how the movement works in capitalism because it moves towards need. It, it moves towards power and need, the needs of those in power or next to power who benefit from power's overwhelming and overflowing largesse, which is what we have, a giant suction system of need. And so we build a culture out of the consumption, and then we look at it and say culture is consumption, and therefore we are consumption. And that's only possible because of how alienated we are from ourselves as workers and how few of us do meaningful work within the fucking temple, which is why we are facing this new crisis that is as overwhelmingly obvious as when the sun started dimming uh, on the Mayans or the fucking uh, the little ice age kept the uh, froze all the uh, the waters between Greenland and Iceland, or the fucking or or thirty year drought or the like the f- fifth year of the drought hit uh, Angkor Wat. That's not a drawing of me. That's Paul Giamatti. Thank you very much. That's a famous paparazzi shot of him on the subway looking glum and Giamatti esque. So the, but the marginal revolution is part of that general process of economists describing the world as capitalism makes it and then reifying it as natural law, even though it is the contingent best interest of the capitalist class at a given moment, which is in conflict with the best interests of the species and the planet because of all these unpriced externalities that the ruling class is unaware of and can't see. Their material interests cannot recognize it. 
because their material interests in the near term depend on it. So we find ourselves in a situation where people, from the guys who say I won't eat the bugs, to the people who say we're gonna we're gonna guillotine all the rich people, uh, to the people who say uh, I need I'm, I'm keeping my guns so that when they come for it I can I can go down like a man and I can fight for my rights. That moment is pen passed for everyone in this bubble. Like the guy with the gun, what he thinks that gun represents is the frontier mastery of the self that the early yeoman American farmers had, or imagined they had. Or at least had a much, uh, they imagined it too, but they actually had the ability to live off the land. They could live off the land. They could live outside of the market. They were free from the market. That gun is just the way to keep that state of affairs. We have people now who think that they're in that same position. And who think that that gun represents the is the guarantor of that position, who have been fully stripped from their ability to sustain themselves, who have been fully atomized and made them and, and are fully at the mercy of the market. They cannot live outside the market. The market uh, sustains them. It's like getting booted out of the matrix without there be the Zion to catch you. Booted out of the matrix to die of exposure in a public park. That's what we have, and that is the, that's what the extravagant public cruelty display of homelessness in this country is meant to convey. So that gun is a fucking trinket. That gun is a is a is a is a symbol not of rights that you're defending, but of rights you've lost. That's what that gun represents. Because your right is to go on a shooting spree. Your right is to get shot by, to do suicide by cop. Okay, but you're not going to do that. And by the time you do it, it'll be a lost fucking cause. And even your dream of being part of some Wolverines-esque resistance will mean nothing. It will be a pathetic orgy of, of pointless bloodshed. And you'll know it. That's the important part. You'll know it. You'll know that it's a farce. You won't go down smiling. You won't go to fucking uh, Valhalla to sup in the fucking uh, in the uh, mead halls of the gods. You're going to be shitting yourself and crying if you get up the balls to do it, which you won't. You will either accede to what they want you to do or if you say no or if you just can't hack what their new demands are, Mentally, you get kicked out. You get up to go on the other side of the human line. You are no longer a person. You are a homo saucer. And at that point, it doesn't fucking matter what you do with that gun. Go nuts. You have no ability to threaten anyone. That matters.
saucy, saucy homo. All right. Well, I didn't talk too much about the book club, although I got to say Jack, uh, Black Jacobins is leading in the clubhouse because you guys know I'm all about uh, alternative history. I'm trying to do some projects along those lines. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about Haiti as a result. Haiti, Reconstruction, uh, the 1918, like the real, the real protean moments, the real, the real lubricated joints in the structure. Um, but yeah, I won't, we won't say for next week, but, uh, I'll think about it and announce if I want to do it. I'll see, I'll, I'll see, I'll get my hands on a copy unless I think of something else though. It's the leader in the clubhouse. <clears throat> 